We've come in our trek through the Gospel of Mark to chapter 11. As we have come to chapter 11 of the Gospel of Mark, the thing that we should be reminded of is that now things are going to really slow down. Slow down to a crawl, as it were. The first 10 chapters of Mark covered a span of approximately three years. The rest of the Gospel of Mark from chapter 11 through verse to chapter 16 is going to cover the span of approximately a couple of weeks. Things are going to slow down dramatically. So we come now to the time when Jesus is entering Jerusalem for that last time, for that fateful time, as he prepares by the end of the week that is recorded here, chapter 11 of Mark, to be up on a cross, to have been placed in the tomb. You know, when Jesus was, was born, there was much fanfare. Believe it or not, you might recall there were angels. There were angels and there was singing. There were wise men and there were, there were shepherds. There were prophets and there were priests and there were kings. And everybody was fascinated. Everybody was compelled by the circumstances and what was going on at the time. In fact, you might recall that at the, at the birth of Jesus, the wise men come to King Herod and they say, we have come because we want to know where it is that he who is born king of the Jews now lays. You were to read the gospels from the statement of those wise men up until the time of Jesus entering Jerusalem and even going to the cross and the crucifixion, you might be inclined to ask the question again. Where is he that was actually born king of the Jews? As it would seem a long time and a lifetime ago that so many celebrated the birth of Jesus. And since that time, Jesus' life has been anything but a coronation of a king. Instead of wise men, he was now keeping company with blind men and beggars and thieves and prostitutes. Instead of prophets proclaiming that he is the Messiah, he was hanging around Pharisees and scribes, decrying him and criticizing him and doubting whether or not he was even come from God at all. Since his birth, our Lord's life did not reflect what we might and what the world would understand to be royalty. Born a king, living as a pauper. And yet, as we begin Mark chapter 11, something changes. 
But Jesus knew that he was the promised king of kings, even if others didn't know it. Jesus knew that he was the Messiah. And as he entered into Jerusalem on this final week of his life, others would know it too. Mark 11 begins with the glorious reminder that the king has come and so has his kingdom. And as we open these chapters, we leave behind. It seems to Jesus that everyone had come to know. With the healing of blind Bartimaeus at the end of chapter 10, now there's no more miracle working Jesus. No more healing of the blind. No more feeding of the 5,000. No more casting out demons. There's a new king in town. There's a new kingdom being revealed. Jesus is the king. His kingdom is the kingdom of God. And both he and his kingdom is different than anything in the world. Had ever seen. And this is what Jesus is going to reveal as he comes into Jerusalem. He prepares to enter Jerusalem on this faithful Sunday, the last day before he is crucified, the last week before he is crucified. As Jesus prepares to enter Jerusalem, where by the end of the week he's going to be nailed to this cross. The Bible says here that he, that he stopped off at one of his favorite places to hang out. Stops off in Bethany. Jesus apparently, whenever he went up to Passover, and when he got up to Passover, they would go up to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. It would appear that whenever Jesus went up to Jerusalem, he often spent much time outside the city in a village called Bethany, about two, two and a half miles from Jerusalem. Jesus liked hanging out in Bethany because Jesus liked hanging out with his friends. Jesus liked hanging out with those whom he loved. And in Bethany, there were his friends. There were those he loved. Bethany was the home of Mary and and Martha. Bethany was the home of Lazarus. Bethany is the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Bethany became known as the city of Lazarus. Bethany was also the home of Simon the leper, where Jesus would go and and have a meal. And it was there that Cece Winan gets her inspiration for alabaster box. As the woman comes in and breaks the alabaster box upon our Lord's feet and washes it with, his, with her hair. This happened in Bethany. Jesus is fond of staying in in Bethany, and so it is from Bethany that Jesus prepares to go into Jerusalem. 
He had gone up to Jerusalem many times prior to this for these various festivals, but this time it would be different. So this time, Jesus not only prepares to go into Jerusalem, but Jesus prepares to be worshipped. Jesus prepares to be worshipped. He prepares for them to know that he is Messiah. He prepares for the people to know that he is king. This is different. No more secrets. Because beforehand, you might remember that Jesus would often insist that those who thought they knew who he was or those who got a glimpse into who he was, he would often tell them to be quiet. He would often tell them to keep it to themselves. In fact, after Jesus had fed the 5,000, the Bible tells us that having solved that great miraculous Uh, A miracle that Jesus had in feeding the 5,000. The people came to him and wanted to make him king by force. And the Bible said that Jesus snuck away. There's no sneaking away this time. There's no hushing of the crowds this time. This time, as he enters into Jerusalem... The secret is coming out. This is the Messiah. This is the one whom the angels worship. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is to be worshipped accordingly. Before Jesus enters Jerusalem, however, he sends two of his disciples into a village and Tells them to commandeer a coat. A coat. Matthew, in this account, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 2, reminds us that this coat is not the coat of a horse, but it's a coat of a donkey. Jesus sends his two disciples to tell them to go and get a donkey. Strange, strange thing for them to go and have to get this donkey. Nothing in the life of Jesus kind of prepares you for this, that Jesus would commandeer this donkey in order to ride into Jerusalem. You read the life of Jesus, Jesus doesn't ride anywhere. There's no account of Jesus ever riding anywhere. The only mode of transportation that Jesus ever used was either a boat or his own two feet. And whenever he would go up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, as he had done year after year after year, he would, like all of the other pilgrims, all of the other uh, um, Jews who would go up to Jerusalem for the Passover, he would walk into Jerusalem just like everyone else. In fact... No matter how, no matter what mode of transportation you used to get near Jerusalem, once you got near the city, everybody got off of their donkeys. And you walked. You walked into the city. But this time, Jesus tells his disciples, Go get a donkey. This is the promised mode of transportation for the Messiah. 500 years prior to this, 
the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9, in verse 9, prophesied that when the Messiah would come, behold, your king is coming, the prophet says. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. Your king is coming to you. Your Messiah is coming to you, riding on a donkey. Well, the kings don't ride on donkeys. Kings ride on horses. Because horses were instruments of war. Horses were instruments of royalty. They were instruments of war, and they usually came with mighty men, and they usually came with chariots. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, as Israel is crying out for a king, and they're telling Samuel, we want a king, we want a king, like all the other nations, Samuel says, beware, because when you get a king, he's going to multiply horses, he's going to multiply chariots, and he's going to take your young men off to war. That's what kings did. They multiplied horses. They multiplied chariots. Horses became sources of trust and misguided assurance too. The more horses you had, the more chariots you had, the mightier you were. And a nation with the most horses, the nation with the most chariots, the nation with the most men, but a nation to be feared. This is why God told his kings, don't you multiply horses. Don't you multiply chariots. Because Psalm 20 and verse 7 says, some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Kings rode horses. To make themselves appear strong and mighty. Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. The president has Air Force One. Jesus had a donkey. Donald Trump has a fleet of limousines. Jesus rode in on a donkey. Kings and queens Prince and princesses all over the world fly across the world in personalized Lear jets. Jesus, the King of Kings, comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Our King is different. He comes on a donkey because he comes in humility. In humility, he humbled himself unto those he came to save. In humility, he came. And like his transportation, he was not much to look at. He was not much to behold. As the prophet Isaiah says, he had no form of majesty. And we should look at him. No beauty 
that we should desire him. Not only was he not much to look at, but neither was his transportation. (laughs) This is the nature of the king and his kingdom. Songwriter says, no king but Jesus. No king ever came so low. No king ever so easy to know. No king ever lifted so high a throne fit only for the sky. No king ever so humble in days. No king ever so worthy of praise. No king but Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. This is our King Jesus who comes into Jerusalem lowly, humbling himself unto those he came to serve, riding on a donkey. He sends his two disciples to find this young donkey. And when they are to find this donkey, they are to bring it to Jesus. And Jesus tells them, if anyone questions you, and they will, beloved, they will. He says, you are to tell them the Lord has need of it. The Lord desires it. When you go over into this village, there will be a donkey tied You won't miss it. It'll be a donkey on which no one has ever ridden. Be a young donkey. Fine. A fine colt. Go and unloose it. Go and untie it. Anyone standing there asking you, what are you doing? Why are you untying? Why are you loosing this donkey? You simply tell them. The Lord has need. The king is commandeering it in his service. It's interesting that the Lord desires it. This is an interesting phrase. The Lord has need of it. Contemplating this, I thought to myself, could he have done this without the donkey? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, but, but rather than do it without the donkey, the Lord delights to use the donkey as a means of going into Jerusalem, as a means for others coming to know and to worship him. Does he need the donkey? No. But he desires to use the donkey. Someone has said, God has no hands but our hands. No feet but our feet. No eyes but our eyes. In fact, they put it in a poem. It says, God has no hands but our hands to do his work today. God has no feet but our feet to lead others on his way. God has no voice but our voice to tell others how he died. And God has no help but our help to lead them to his side. Beloved, let me be clear. Our God is not helpless. Our God is not handicapped. Our God is not hurting for assistance. 
And contrary to some strains of theological theology, God has not fallen down and can't get up. And on the contrary, he chooses to use the donkey. Just as he chooses to use you and me. Notice, beloved, it's the donkey that needs to be untied. It's the donkey that needs to be loosed. It's you and I. It's you and me who need to be loosed and unloosed so that Jesus can use it. God works through human hands, beloved, not because he has to, but because he desires to. He delights, he delights that we would participate in his exaltation. He delights that we would play a part in his glorification upon the earth. He delights that people would get saved through the means of us preaching the gospel to them. Acts 13 and 48 reminds us, it reminds us that people who are ordained unto salvation before the foundation of the world are brought to that faith through the preaching of the gospel. It is God who has ordained their salvation. He just delights in using us to bring that salvation to pass. And this is the desire of all disciples. True disciples desire nothing more than to be used of God. If you have been redeemed, then you want to be used. You want God to use you. And so you pray, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. I'm sure that Bill Weathers had something else in mind. But when we say it feels so good being used, and Lord, just keep on using me until you use me up. Until you use me up. This is the desire of God. This should be the delight of God's people. And this is our prayer. Lord, use me. Use me. He has unloosed you. And you say, Lord, Use me until you use me up. Why? You do it for his glory. You do it for his praise in accordance with the king's command. You know those who heard the word of the Lord? Obeyed? Obeyed? Here, here, right here in this passage is evidence of what true discipleship is. 
Here is evidence that Christ had disciples in that village. Notice that his two disciples who are with him, they go into this village and they see this coat tied and there's men standing around them. And as they untie the coat, the men say, why are you untying that coat? And they say, the Lord has need of it. And that's the end of the conversation. Apparently, Jesus had disciples in that village. And when they heard that the Lord had need of it. How do we know that they were disciples? Because when they heard the word of the Lord, they obeyed. They obeyed. Disciples tell them what Jesus said. And they let them go. The glory of the king is in the obedience of his subjects, is it not? You're not going to be a king very long if your subjects don't obey. The glory of any king in his kingdom is in the obedience of the subjects. Jesus says the mark of true discipleship is this in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. It's, it's obedience. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I tell you? So, you know that these are disciples of Christ because when the disciples come and get the donkey, they say, why are you getting a donkey? Who needs it? Jesus. Why does he need it? I don't know. He just needs it. No more questions. You must be willing to obey the master whenever he speaks, beloved, and he doesn't always tell us why. He doesn't always tell you why. When he came to James and John and Peter and Andrew and they were fishing, he comes to them, he says, follow me. Where? Why? At that point, yours is not the question why. Yours is just to come do and die. Don't you wish it was that easy all the time? I know I do. Just just tell them what Jesus says and it's done. Just open up the words and see Jesus says it and they say, yes, Lord. You know, thankfully, sometimes it is for those who know their Lord, when they hear the word of the Lord, they don't say, why, Lord? They say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. My soul says yes. Because they know that whatever God asks you to do, it's good. It's good because he is good and he does good. And if he asks you, commands you to do anything, it is only for your good. And that's why you can say, yes, Lord, have your way, Lord. I 
You are the potter and I am the clay. Have your way, Lord. Yes, Lord. You do it all, all, whatever, Lord. Whatever you do is good because I know whatever you do, it's for your glory. It's according to your glory that these things are done. We see this as Jesus goes, prepares to enter into Jerusalem. You know, this is called the triumphant entry. Perhaps that is the heading in your Bible. It is called that because Jesus entered Jerusalem to the praise and the adoration of the crowd. And it was such a praise and such an adoration that it is a welcome and a reception fit for a conquering king. Again, Jesus had entered Jerusalem many times before this. He had entered Jerusalem with his disciples many times before this. But this time is so different. He's, he's riding. He's not walking. The people gather around him front and back. They lay their cloaks on the ground before him. They spread palm branches before him. One writer has said, you don't spread cloaks on the ground for a friend. You don't even, you don't even put your coat on the ground for a respected elder. You do that for royalty. You do that for king. And as they spread their coats on the ground and as they put the palm branches before him and as he is riding into Jerusalem, humbly, lowly on this coat, they begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Meaning save us now. Save us now. Come. Save us, O Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord to save us, to redeem us, to restore to us the joy and the God of our salvation. Save us, Lord. Beloved, they spoke ever so rightly. For no praise has ever been so true. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No prayer ever so needed. Save us, save us, Lord. This is the reason why Jesus has come into the earth. This is the reason why he is riding into Jerusalem. He is riding into Jerusalem to save. Because this has been his mission from the very beginning. When Joseph was struggling with what to do with a pregnant Mary. And how he might handle the situation socially. Struggling with how he might break off the engagement and put her away quietly so as to lessen the shame. The angel comes to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and says, fear not, Joseph. For the baby that is growing, maturing in Mary's womb is of 
the Holy Spirit. And when she gives birth, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Salvation is not only his purpose. Salvation is his name. And therefore, to know Jesus is to be saved by him. And this is the only prayer appropriately to pray when you come to know him. When you come to know who Jesus is, you cry out, save me, Lord. When you come to know who Jesus is and the power of his might and what he has come to do, your cry to him is, Hosanna, save us now. It's the only proper response to Jesus. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 that coming to know Jesus, you understand that now is the time and today is the day of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Call upon him now and say, Hosanna, blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord to save me from my sins. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey And not a horse, because he came into Jerusalem as he has come into the world to bring peace. And this is why Isaiah 55 and verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now is the time salvation. Jesus has come, is coming to you meek and lowly. Jesus is coming to you in peace. Jesus is coming to you, offering you salvation from sin and death. Jesus is coming to you, offering himself. Come. Cry out to him. And say, save me, Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Because he is near to you. Even in the word that we speak. Even in the gospel we proclaim. So if you would hear my voice this morning. And don't know the Lord Jesus in the pardon of your sins. Hear the Lord Jesus saying to you, come unto me. Give me your burden of sin. And I will give you my relief of grace. Although your burdens be heavy, His beloved is light. And now is the time. 
Now is the time to receive that salvation. Now is the time to call upon the Lord and be saved. And you must be saved by Christ. He is the only one that you can call upon. He is the only one who has the favor of God, who has come into the world, blessed of God. He is the only one who can properly respond to Hosanna. He's the only one who can save. Be saved now because he is the only one who went to the cross. He is the only one who has shed his blood. He is the only one raised from the dead in victory over sin. No king but Jesus. No, not one. Beloved, the king has come. But you know what? The reason that you ought to seek the Lord now, the reason why you need to seek the Lord while he may be found, why you need to call upon him while he is near, the reason why Today is the day of salvation, and if you would hear the Spirit of the Lord, do not harden your heart, because the King has come unto you lowly on a donkey, offering you peace. The reason why is because the King who has come is the king who's coming again. But when he comes again, he will have exchanged the cross for a crown. He will have exchanged the donkey for a horse. He will have exchanged the palm branches for a sword. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, we read these words. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, not a donkey, beloved, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges. And if he's on a horse, he has come to make war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him. And they're following him, not on donkeys. They're following him on horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. He has not come, beloved, to bring peace. 
He has not come, beloved, offering salvation. But this time, his mouth is sharp as a sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Remember, Jesus came to the earthly Jerusalem on a donkey. He will enter the new Jerusalem on a horse. He came into the old Jerusalem bringing peace. He will come into the new Jerusalem bringing a sword. He he came into the old Jerusalem declaring salvation. He will come into the new Jerusalem declaring judgment. He came into the old Jerusalem delivering his people. He will come into the new Jerusalem destroying the nations. Came into the old Jerusalem. The shouts that would eventually end. He will come into the new Jerusalem. The shouts of never ending prayer. This is why it is so important. This is why it is so incumbent upon us that we receive the king now while he is yet approachable. It is now that Jesus can be approached. It is now that you can come to this humble king. It is now that he is receiving people into his kingdom. Today is the day. Now is the time of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Today, Jesus comes even into this place, riding, as it were, on a donkey. Receive him while he is yet approachable, while he is yet offering peace. And there will come a time, beloved, when he who was humbled will be revealed in all his exaltation. He will be revealed in all his regalia. He will be revealed for who he is, the king of kings and lord of lords. The donkey will be put away. And at that point, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is king and that he is lord. To the glory of God. Here's the only question left for each of us this morning. Will you confess him now? Will you cry out now? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Will you say in your soul now, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, my soul, my soul says, 
Yes. Today is a day. Now is the time when you would hear the voice of Jesus. Harden not your heart. Come unto him and be saved. Heavenly Father, Lord, we stand amazed at the humility of our King that he would come emptying himself of his glory and his majesty that belongs alone to him in heaven, humbling himself and becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross, that we might be saved by him. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice who has not bowed the knee to this king, that they would do so even now, coming to know this humble king and being saved today while there is yet time, while it is still called today. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for leading us in triumphant praise of our Savior. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Our soul says yes. In Jesus' name, amen.